0: The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 202. Are you ready to think locally and act locally? Welcome to The Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to The Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, at Brian McClanahan. Like my Facebook page, at Brian McClanahan. And, of course, subscribe to my YouTube page, at Brian McClanahan. You can watch this podcast on that YouTube page, along with other videos that I have. Also, don't forget to go to BrianMcClanahan.com. Give me an email address and I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, and a free audiobook read by yours truly. You'll get on my email list. I won't send you a whole lot of them, but you do get the best deals if you're on that email list if you subscribe to McClanahanAcademy.com. McClanahan Academy is my online education site. I've got five courses available for purchase right now. A forthcoming class on reconstruction in the spring. So you're going to want to get out there and subscribe to McClanahan Academy. It is a way to support the Brian McClanahan show. Uh, and they are awesome courses. You can also support the Brian McClanahan show by going to brianmcclanahan.com forward slash support. You can throw a few pennies my way, help keep the lights on, help keep the podcast going. And as always, you can go get your Brian McClanahan gear at redbubble.com. Just do a search for my name. You get t shirts, cups, skins for your electronic devices, all kinds of cool stuff at redbubble.com. And last but not least, don't forget to use my affiliate link for Tom Woods Liberty Classroom. It is LearnTrueT.R.U.EHistory.com. learntruehistory.com. Great website. Best bang for your buck on the web in terms of content and quality and amount of classes you get for what you pay for. So, LearnTrueHistory.com. I'd highly recommend it. I teach there along with Tom Woods, Kevin Goodsman, Jason Jewell, Brad Berzer, Bob Murphy, whole slew of people. They're going to get you economics, history, philosophy, all kinds of cool stuff. So, learnTrueHistory.com. Okay. So, let's talk about uh, the topic for the day, which is the idiocy of the modern academy. Now, I mean, this is something that is without question. One of the greatest issues of the modern age. Uh, but, I mean, we could go back to the Middle Ages and talk about how the university was pushing back against tradition. It always has been uh, a, an institution that is part of, I mean, look, there, there are conservative universities, but it's always been an institution that pushes the envelope in terms of uh, bucking tradition. However, today, uh, in today's society, the university is so corrupt, so bad, uh, that it's become laughable. I mean, and and people are starting to publish more and more about the problems of the university. I think that, uh, you know, Michael Malice has a new book coming out um, in the spring, uh, The New Right. And he had a clip that he shared the other day on on social media where he was on uh, Kennedy's show. And he talked about the problems of university professors and how horrible they are. And he said that particular narrative was cut from the book. The publishers didn't like that. Uh, they thought it was just, it was wrong. He disagreed, but the publisher, of course, usually has the final say when you're publishing a book. They can cut out stuff and change things and do whatever they want if you want to publish with them. So that is the the problem of, of publishing. But... um. This is a big issue, and there's a couple of ways to approach this, and I'm going to talk about those two different two different ways in three articles that I have. So uh, I'm going to go through three different articles on this particular topic, the problems of universities, but more importantly, the, the bigger theme is, and it gets back to publishing, university professors have lost their audience. Now, you may think they haven't because they're, they're proselytizing to all these students, and, and that's because of the nature of the beast. You know, Most university professors couldn't make it in any other way. They couldn't do anything else, so they have to be heard, and so they think if I get into a classroom, I have all these minds of mush, and I can persuade them to think like me. You see, in some ways, um, it is a way for these people to perpetuate their own ideas. I mean, this is, it's, it's their legacy to them. How many students can I get to think like me? And everybody that exchanges ideas wants to share those ideas and have a discussion about those ideas and perhaps have people think like them. I mean, this is something we all do if you're doing a podcast, if you're writing books, if you're writing op-eds, if you're on social media arguing with people, you're trying to get people to think like you. It is, uh, without question, that's what you're doing. But... But there are ways to do it that are more effective, perhaps, and um, also, uh, I think in some ways, um, I don't know what the word I want to use, but uh, in a way that is not so disgusting, um, You can be more open about your biases. You can be more open about your positions. I mean, professors hide behind, just like the the modern media, hides behind this noble dream of objectivity. It's a dream that doesn't exist. The news is biased. Professors are biased. Um, I've done a, a presentation before on this particular podcast about how history is biased. That is the issue with all of the soft sciences and also the humanities. People that write, people that talk about things are biased. Clearly, I'm biased, but I'm very open about that. Most professors are not. They hide behind this belief that somehow they're going to say what they're going to say and people won't get it. People won't understand. Now, I mean, some don't. They go right in and say, I hate this particular thing. And they hide behind tenure then. They hide behind the university saying, well, I can say what I want. I can't get in trouble for that. Well, now we know... That uh, of course they do it in the classroom. I mean, there's there's a difference between doing these things in the classroom and doing these things in your own private time. Um, that is one of the reasons why I think professors have gotten such a bad rap. If they wanted to do these things on their own time, okay, but they do it in the classroom, and again, they hide behind the university or they hide behind this noble dream of objectivity. Well, I'm just I'm just being objective, you see. I'm just I'm just challenging the status quo, even though they are part of the status quo. So I want to talk about three different articles, um, that get into this particular idea of you know what's wrong with with uh, higher education, but not just that. What's wrong with America in many ways? I mean, this is a a deep question, something that again more and more people are writing about. Um, that needs to be addressed. So the first on Saturday I posted a a, um, a tweet. So you want to be in grad school and. The headline of that particular piece that I'd linked to was that food reviews on Yelp show that you're a white supremacist. Now, this particular headline comes from a master's thesis, uh, a master's thesis. And uh, listen to the <laughs> listen to what this person writes. I-, I can't remember her name. It's Sarah, something rather. Who cares? Right, but this is what she writes. This is in um, uh, New York Magazine or Food Magazine, some one of these, some some garbage website. Um, Eater New York Eater Magazine, okay Eater. The term authenticity is everywhere. Pundits claim that millennials crave it, restaurants boast authentic dining experiences, and Foursquare Access to Make asks us to make a judgments about it. These claims, often used as markers of quality, are employed by diners and restaurateurs alike, often used by owners to evoke a homespun or faraway romanticism. Nowhere does that come into play more than on user-based review sites like Yelp. I would know. I have read and studied 20,000 Yelp reviews, Part of my thesis as a master's student at New York University in the food studies program. Now, just think about that that line. (laughs) Think about that line. I have studied 20,000 Yelp reviews. Now, this is her research for her master's thesis. In the food studies program. What the heck is food studies? People wonder why. Universities get such a bad rap. Well, here you go. And then she continues. I can tell you a lot about what I concluded about the depths of the internet, but I'll start with this one. The word authentic in food reviews supports white supremacism, and Yelp reviews prove it. Now, this is the garbage that's being paraded around as real, genuine, academic research. I went out and read Yelp reviews there was a student in my uh, graduate studies program that was studying supermarkets in history. Supermarkets. The impact of supermarkets. Now, okay. I mean, everyone likes to go to the supermarket, but the impact of supermarkets. Think about that for a second, and again, it'll make you realize how stupid the profession. I, and this is person's in the food studies program. Why do we even have a food studies program? What is the point of that? So she's going to write an article here. Maybe she's going out in food studies so she can be a food critic, like on Food Network or something. I have no idea what these people will do. Uh, it's, a, it's a monumental waste of money. But this is what we have. These universities create these departments like this for the sole purpose of making money for themselves... And this person is going to write this article. Now everyone's laughing at her. Now I'm sure some people aren't. I'm sure that there's a bunch of other graduate students just like her and people in the food studies departments and people in these, uh, you know, whatever, uh, critical race theory departments, whatever it is, they're going to read this and eat it up. And now this is going to appear somewhere. Somebody's going to write a book and they're going to link back to Eater Magazine and say, well, here it is, the definitive study that shows that people that write Yelp reviews and Yelp reviews in general, the word authentic means White supremacy. I mean, you you almost can't start making up this this stuff. It's it's so silly, so stupid, so nonsense that it's you almost couldn't parody these things. And people, of course, were parodying about you know about thirty forty years ago. And now this is what we have. We've got it. Now I'm not going to spend time on that piece of garbage. I wasted ink and paper printing it out. It's very funny if you want to read it, but this is what you're, if you go to graduate school, I get emails all the time. I want to go to graduate school. Why? Why? You want to be around these people? Uh, Now, if you're doing, I mean, look, if you're, if you want to go to graduate school, go get a, go to graduate school in a field that's worthwhile where you can actually go make some money in it. Right. Um, And I know everyone, of course, you're listening to this podcast. So you think, well, you've got a PhD, you went to graduate school, you're doing this. Yeah, that's true. I am. It's it is not an easy road. Okay, it's not an easy road, and as another piece points out, it's it's tough because of the institutionalized nature of universities. So this other piece pe- appeared on the Chronicle of Higher Education. Every now and then, the Chronicle of Higher Education actually publishes something that's worth reading. Every now and then. Most of the time, though, they don't. Most of the time, it's just a bunch of garbage. But every now and then, they do. And this particular piece is higher education is drowning in BS. And it's mortally corrosive to society by Christian Smith. Christian Smith teaches at University of Notre Dame. And uh, so this is, it's actually very um, courageous of this particular person to call out the modern academy in the Chronicle of Higher Education. Because, I mean, look, this is where academics go. This is like their uh, Newsweek. Right? I mean, this is what this is their little. Oh yeah, did you read the chronicle? And they want to say, Oh, yeah, I read the chronicle, uh, and they think that they're they're smart and they're witty because they read the chronicle of higher education. Uh, now, because this is a family friendly program, I'm gonna I'm going to edit some, again the language. Why would this is for academics? This is supposed to be a scholarly piece in some ways. Why, why would you write this the way he does? But Drowning in BS. So just I'll use that term. I have had enough I have had nearly enough BS. The manure has piled up so deep in the hallways, classrooms, administration buildings of American higher education that I am not sure how much longer I can wade through it and retain my sanity and integrity. Now no one's saying that you gotta go into this field. I mean no one's saying you gotta go in the script, so get out. Right? I we mean, go do something else. Even worse, the accumulated effects of all the academic BS are contributing to this country's disastrous political condition and ultimately putting at risk the very viability and character of decent civilization. What do I mean by BS? BS is the university's loss of capacity to grapple with life's big questions. Because of our crisis of faith and truth, reality, reason, evidence, argument, civility, and our common humanity. I mean, I agree with that. And he's going to explain why we don't have any common humanity, truth, reason, all of these things. Civility. BS is the farce of what are actually... uh, Fragment universities, claiming to be universities of hyper-specialization and academic disciplines, unable to talk with each other about obvious shared concerns, like food studies programs. Fragment universities. So we have food studies programs, we have women's studies programs, we have gender studies programs, we have all these different programs within a university. And, of course, they're all specialized, and they, don't, they, they can't synthesize anything. They don't know the big picture. Now, this is, this is Foucault. This is Michel Foucault, and this is the Foucault effect of higher education. Um, if you don't know Foucault, you need to go, well, I wouldn't read Foucault. It's, it's miserable. But this is what happens. This is what's happened with history. You see, history really is the granddaddy of all subjects. Maybe you could say philosophy. I think you can make an argument for that, but one of the two. And what's happened in all of that? is that you've had all this specialization come out of that. I mean, you can't just have history anymore. You have to have the various divisions within the history department. And these people can't synthesize anything. Actually, Eric Foner, Eric Foner pointed this out in his reconstruction, his monumental uh, study on reconstruction, supposedly monumental study on reconstruction. He did say the problem is that nobody can synthesize anything in reconstruction because you've got all of these different monographs that uh, they, they can't get the big picture. Now, I disagree with this big picture, but he is right about this. Nobody can write synthesis, uh, synthesis history anymore. Nobody can do it. Nobody can write anything anymore because they have to write about racism and uh, Yelp reviews. Ridiculous. BS is the expectation that a good education can be provided by institutions modeled organizationally on factories, state bureaucracies, and shopping malls. That is, by enormous universities, Producing, I'm sorry, processing hordes of students as if they were livestock, numbers waiting in line and shopping consumers. Well, universities are businesses, colleges are businesses. This is part of it. BS is universities hijacked by the relentless pursuit of money and prestige, including uh, chasing rankings that they know are deeply flawed at the expense of genuine educational excellence. BS is the ideologically infused jargon deployed by various fields to stake out in-group self-importance and insulate them from accountability to those not fluent in such uh, slopolistic language games. BS is a tenure system that provides guaranteed lifetime employment to faculty faculty who are lousy teachers and inactive scholars, not because they espouse unpopular viewpoints that need the protection of academic freedom, but only because years ago they somehow were granted tenure. Now, that is entirely true. That is entirely true. Uh, Most... Most people in universities and departments are so mediocre that they won't hire anybody good because they don't want anyone good coming in who's energetic and wants to go out and publish and do things, making them look stupid and silly and lazy. So they're going to hire mediocre, and they're going to hire people that think just like them because that's what they're comfortable with. And this, this author goes on. Now, he does say something in here that I think is absolutely hilarious, laughable, and when he says it. Um, but this is true about tenure. The tenure system is corrupt. BS is the shifting, and I'm going to talk about tenure and how you get tenure and part of the problem with, again, history in a minute and other fields as well. BS is the shifting of the burden of teaching undergraduate courses from traditional tenure-track faculty to miscellaneous, often underpaid or not paid at all, adjunct faculty and graduate students. Uh, That is a problem, and this is because universities make more money on uh, adjuncts or graduate students. B.S. is states pounding their chests over the great public universities, even while their legislatures cut higher education budgets year after year. Well, um, I'm not so certain about that, but uh, as far as cutting their budgets, I mean, I'm sure that does happen. Um, but, you know, a cut, what is a cut? A cut is usually just not any any increase in growth and spending, and um, But universities have large endowments, and they raise tuition all the time. Uh, and this is, and they know they're, they're, they're chasing the money. Look, the federal government doesn't cut spending. And most students now are on some type of federal assistance to go to college. So this, this individual really doesn't understand the funding of the university system. It's the state that's actually producing the cost of higher education through things like Pell Grants and student loans, VA loans, guaranteed money. The universities know it's there. They know how much they can get, which is why the tuition is what it is. Accordingly, I mean, uh, they know what students can can pay based on the financial aid they can get. Very few students now pay out of pocket. Uh, they're going to get a loan, or they're going to get some type of financial aid, or maybe uh, you know some type of scholarship ba- from an endowment. So, very few students are paying out of pocket. So, and the states really don't cut spend. The states really don't don't spend a lot on higher education anyways. Again, it's federal money. BS is the fantasy that education worthy of the name can be accomplished online through distance learning. BS is the institutional reward system that coerces graduate students and faculty to get published as soon and as much as possible, rather than to take the time to mature intellectually and produce scholarship of real importance, leading to a raft of books and articles that contribute little to our knowledge about human concerns that matter. Now, I'm going to talk about that. That's an important point. I'm going to get into that in the very next thing I want to discuss in the very next article. That is a huge issue um, with the Academy and a problem for the Academy uh, because they're doing it to to get tenure, right? To get published because they want to get tenure or get a job. BS's third-tier universities offering mediocre graduate programs to train second-rate Ph.D. students for jobs that do not exist, whose real function is to provide faculty with graduate RAs and to justify the title of university. Now, this is very snobby. Uh, this is a very snobby point. He's at, univers- he's at Notre Dame. So, well, these third-tier universities and these second-rate students, well, trust me, there's a lot of second-rate students, I'm sure, coming out of University of Notre Dame. Um, but the fact is, that's that's a pretty snobby position, very elitist. BS is undergrad core undergraduate core curricula that are actually not course course systems, but loose set of distribution requirements representing uneasy truces between turf protecting divisions and departments, and not keep keeping their classes full, which students typically then come to view as impositions to get out of the way. Well, the liberal arts education. I mean, this is this goes back to the Renaissance period. What is the studia humanitatis? I mean, this is, I, I've done a, a podcasts on this as well. BS is the grossly lopsided political ideology of the faculty of many disciplines, especially in the humanities and social sciences, creating a homogeneity of worldview to which these, uh, those faculties are themselves oblivious, despite claiming to champion difference, diversity and tolerance. This is 100% true. Try to be someone like me and get a job in the academy uh, it's just not going to happen once you're locked in somewhere. I mean, I, I've seen it with many people. They get stuck in regional universities or smaller universities or colleges, and they can't get out because they are blacklisted, blackballed, whatever the case may be, because of what they write or how they write it. The The joke in some ways, though, is on these idiots in the universities um, who write stuff that nobody wants to read, hence the point before. But yet they feel good about themselves because uh, they are Marxists and they want to have Marxists around themselves all the time. They really don't care about diversity of thought. What they care about is, again, proselytizing. That's it. Um, he gets into, uh, hyper, uh, commercialized college athletics. Uh, he gets into second and third tier universities. There's that term again. I mean, this is very elitist running expensive for- sports programs that really don't do anything. um, BS is the ascendant culture of offense that shuts down the open exchange of ideas and mutual accountability to reason and argument. It is university leaders' confused and fearful capitulation to the to that secular neo-fundamentalist speech policing. That's a hundred percent true. Uh, I mean, universities are not areas for free speech any longer. They are areas to proselytize, and they really don't care about diversity of thought or diversity of opinion or real expression of ideas. If they did they would have all these things out there. Now, I mean, I'm not saying all professors do this. Of course, some some don't. But this is why Jordan Peterson, even as Jordan Peterson, because he, he bucked the trend and, of course, made lots and lots of money on that. BS is the invisible self-censorship that results among some students and faculty and the subtle, subtle corrective training aimed at those who occasionally do not self-censor. And this is, gets back into the speech policing. BS is the only semi- intelligible outbursts of antagonism from enraged outsiders incited by academic suppressions of open argument, which primarily work to validate and reinforce the self-assured superiority of their suppressors, and sometimes to silence other legitimate voices. This is, gets, gets into, again, what goes on in social media. BS is the anxiety that haunts... This is the one that I think is so laughable. BS is the anxiety that haunts some faculty of public universities in very conservative states... But expressing their well-considered but unorthodox beliefs, for fear of being hounded by close-minded students and parents, of, or targeted by grandstanding politicians. Now, maybe that happens like a tenth of a percent, a tenth of a percent of the time, uh, by by people who are worried about conservative states. In the academy, are you serious? Uh, I mean, that's laughable. I don't even get it. I mean, of course, this this guy's writing for University of Notre Dame. Maybe in Notre Dame there are some conservative people there. It's a Catholic. Maybe they're conservative. And maybe there's some liberal people that don't feel like they can speak out. Why? I mean, you're in the academy. You control the entire thing. Even if you're at a conservative school, you still control it. They're not going to do anything to you. BS is the standard undergraduate student mentality fostered by our entire culture that sees college as essentially about credentials and careers on the one hand and uh, parting oneself into stupefaction on the other. BS is the failure of leaders in higher education to champion the liberal arts ideal that colleges to challenge, develop, and transform students' minds and hearts so they can lead good, flourishing, and socially productive lives. And they're stampeding into the practical enterprise of producing specialized workers to feed the economy. Now, I'm not going to read the rest of this, uh, but I mean there are some valid points here. Universities have become training grounds. What can you do to get a job? Now I just said that at the beginning though, you, you do need to get a job, right? We all need to, to have an income. Now there's other ways to do it. Um, don't go into don't go into a white collar field. Then I mean, it's it's. Uh, there's plenty of jobs out there for training, you know, training purposes. I think that the point of that last was that people are being pushed into universities when they really don't need to be. That's that's a whole other argument in and of itself. But there is a problem with the American Academy, and it is producing the the stuff we see on social media. It's producing things like the, the Yelp review thesis. Ridiculous. Laughable. Garbage. And that gets into my final point about what you should be doing, if you are in the academy, how you should focus your attention. And this is comes from an article from 2016. Why professors are writing crap that nobody reads. You see, this article, the, the Chronicle article, touched on that when you produce all this stuff to get published. You write the pu- stuff to get published so you get tenure, so you can have the job where you can proselytize, Right. But nobody reads this stuff. Now, unless you do something else. So I want to talk about this for a minute. Professors usually spend about three to six months. Now, this individual is saying you don't spend any time writing this stuff. You do. Professors spend months writing this crap that nobody reads, this crap that is published to get published so you get a job and tenure. They spend months doing it. Professors usually spend about three to six months, sometimes longer, researching and writing a 25-page article to submit an article to an academic journal. And most experience a twinge of excitement when, months later, they open a letter informing them that their article has been accepted for publication and will therefore be read by an average of 10 people. Yeah, this is the Academy. An average of 10 people. This is the academy because, you see, people don't write things that anybody wants to read. Now, this, this nin, nincompoop, this nit, nimwit that, uh, nitwit that um, went out and wrote this piece for, uh, what, food something or other, right, and food studies program, yeah, that, that piece has been read a lot because it's so stupid. It's been shared around on social media. So they're embarrassed. They've been embarrassed. Now, they don't think they have because, ooh, people are reading my stuff. Yeah, people are reading your stuff and laughing at you. But the fact is, 10 people will read an academic journal article. 10 people. 10 people or less will read an academic book. So you publish your book. 10 people will read it. uh, And that's about it. It'll get stuck in a library somewhere, nobody I mean, somebody will write a review on it. They don't even read it when they write the review. They read maybe the introduction, they read maybe the conclusion, they read what some other people have said about it, and they write a review. They don't read what's actually in it. They never do. Because nobody cares. Because that book has been published simply to get tenure or to get a job. And nobody cares about it. In contrast to people that write popular history, like myself, I have been called all kinds of names, a hack. A uh, hack is the one that I get a lot. I'm just a hack because I write popular history because I decided not to write academic books. I have never published an academic article. I have never published an academic book in an academic journal, I should say, an academic book through a university press. I've never done either one of those things. Now, I would suggest that my books are academic. I do a lot of research for them, but I write them in a way that's popular because I want people to read the stuff. I want people to go to Barnes & Noble and pick up my book and read it because where am I having more impact? If I wrote a book that 10 people will read or that 10,000 people will read, or 20,000, or 30,000 people will read. Most academics, most academic books get, uh, I, I can't remember the numbers now, but less than a 1,000 sales. That's if they're lucky. Usually it's less than 100. Less than 100 people buy the book. Right? So where do you want to be, if you're a writer, this is something Shelby Foote pointed out, if you're a writer, Do you want to write something that nobody reads or do you want to write something that people read? And you have to learn how to write. Most academics can't write. Look at, I mean, it was funny. I was actually doing, because I'm, I'm working on this reconstruction class, and I was going through some bibliographies and I was reading the titles of these books. Academic titles are the funniest things because they don't even know how to write a title. It is something, 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 colon with a subtitle, something, something, something. This is every academic book. Something, 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 colon, subtitle. They don't know how to write a title. They don't know how to write a paragraph that somebody can actually read. I mean, the paragraphs are, you know, page long paragraphs. Page long paragraphs that are so dense that, uh, I mean, now this stuff is fine if you're into these things. Uh, and sure, I read this stuff uh, because I'm curious and I want to know what's in the field. But. Uh, There's a reason why somebody who doesn't have a PhD wouldn't want to read this stuff. Because it's stupid. Because it's boring. Because it's pedantic. Because nobody cares. They'd rather pick up a book, Nine Presidents Who Screwed Up America. It's academic. It's academic in a way that people can read it. I did research for that book. (laughs) Uh, I consulted sources, primary materials primarily, No pun. Primary materials primarily for that book uh, because that's really where the juice is. You read the primary stuff. You see what these people actually said, and then you go out and you work from there or what they thought about things. Academic books a lot of times are about uh, stroking the egos of the people in your field to make them feel better about themselves so you get a job at their university. Look how smart this individual is. Look how smart this individual is. It's all about the historiography. It's all about the incestuous nature of the academy. So this this last person says, You read it correctly. The numbers reported by recent studies are pretty bleak. 82% of articles published in the humanities are not even cited once. Once. 82% of those articles that are cited, only 20% have actually been read Half of academic papers are never read by anyone other than their authors, peer reviewers, and journal editors. So the person that wrote it, the few people that are subjected to the nonsense of the article because they're a peer reviewer, and the editor of the journal. That's it. And, of course, he says the reason this happens is is money and job security. The goal of professors is to get tenure, and right now tenure continues to be awarded based in part on how many peer-reviewed publications they have. Tenure committees treat these publications as evidence that the professor is able to conduct mature research. So this is where I've been called a hack. I, I don't conduct mature research because I don't publish academic articles. Yet I would, I would guarantee you that most of these professors couldn't do what I do, particularly under the time constraints that I do it. You get under a, a book contract with a major publisher; they don't give you much time to write anything. I know that um, one particular, uh, a friend of mine, had to write a book in four weeks. Four weeks. That's it. Four weeks. Now, I've had uh, contracts that are longer than that. I, I was told, actually, for, through, through my pub- Regnery, generally published My first book, I had eight weeks to write. Eight weeks. That's it. Eight weeks. And then they started their history division. And I was told, this is going to be good because you have more time. Instead of eight weeks, we'll give you about four months. Four months. Now, a lot of your, uh, Pauline Meyer, for example, who wrote the book Ratification, has all kinds of problems. But, I mean, she's a main historian, popular historian. At a university, she does what, what historians are supposed to do. Produces works that more people are going to read. But she would take years to write a book. Foner's Reconstruction, he admits it took him a couple decades to write. Decades. I was given six months. Right? So there's a different environment here. Another reason is increased specialization in the modern era, which is due in part to splitting up of universities in various disciplines and departments that each pursue their own logic. This is what the Chronicle piece was saying. I mean, so we're all saying the same thing. One unfortunate effect of this specialization is that the subject matter of most articles make them inaccessible to the public, and even to the overwhelming majority of professors. Trust me, most academics don't even want to read their peers' papers. 100% true. Some of the titles in the most recent issues of the Journal of American Academy of Religion which proclaims itself as the top academic journal in the field of religious studies to serve as evidence. These are titles of our <laughs> I told you it's colon, it's title colon subtitle, and the titles are so stupid. Donna Bento's Rosary, managing ambiguity in a Brazilian women's prayer group, death and demonization. Uh, uh, I'm not even going to. That, that's a stupid article. Brides and blemishes. Queering women's disability in uh, rabbinic marriage law. I mean, who would read these things? It's completely stupid. Thus, increased specialization has led to increased alienation between not only professors and the general public, but also between the professors themselves. He says, what a waste. So... This is the problem. This is why I continue to write popular history, why I do things like McClanahan Academy. My goal is to reach a wider audience, why I do this podcast. Um, my goal is to reach a wider audience. And so you, the, the academics will call me names, and that's fine. The, uh, the Academy doesn't like what I do, or Tom Woods, or people like that. That's fine, because the joke is actually on them. At the end of the day, they're the ones getting laughed at, and now people are pointing this stuff out in various articles. It's, it's more and more frequent, the problems with the academy. It's not just conservatives writing this stuff. It's also leftists who are saying, you know, we really don't have much diversity of thought in our academies. I mean, hey, I'm out there. Universities want to have somebody come in and really stir the pot? Hire me. Uh, if you want to, I'm going to continue to do what I do. Uh, but people like me. Hire people like me. Because the students will enjoy it, number one, and university will be better for it, number two. But that's not the point. The point is proselytizing. The point is creating a climate where you've got all these people running around angry, divisive, and frankly stupid. They don't know anything, yet they think they do. And that is the worst kind of stupid. So I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Brian McLean Show. I'll see you next time.